Ready for the word of God? Uh, all right, turn to the book of Revelations. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay, because we're starting in the book of Revelations. So you know we're going to deal with some things tonight. All right, turn to Revelation chapter 4. I, I contrast Revelation chapter 4 Revelation chapter 7 quite often. And uh, one of the things that people struggle about Revelations is they say things like, it's so confusing. And it's because it's covering information of things going on the earth and simultaneously things that are going on in heaven. And so you have to read it and understand it's covering two elements in the seven-year period after the church is removed. And I know there's, there's three doctrines on the, the rapture of the church. One is pre-trib, one is mid-trib, one is post-trib. I'm a pre-tribber. Uh, you can be whatever you want. Uh, it's just you're wrong. And, um, uh, and I bet you I can stand, I, I bet you I can uh, illustrate my point better than your point. Uh, because I've studied them all. I, I actually wasn't always a pre-tribber. And uh, there was a period of time that I was a mid-tribber. And uh, it made sense. Revelation chapter 7, it's mid-tribulation. Uh, I had heard of things like uh, they, people use examples of, well, the Israelites had to go through half of the uh, plagues upon Egypt, and uh, so we'll have to go through half the tribulation. Well, I actually started studying the Bible for myself, and the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt was not a type and a foreshadow of Jesus coming back. It was a type of coming out of the world and walking into the promises that God has. So one has no uh, uh, causation to the other one or correlation to the other one. So, um, so you have the Re Revelation chapter 4 is the raptured saints. Revelation chapter 7 is the mid-tribulation saints. If you study it out in depth, there are seven raptures in the Bible, starting with Enoch, who was translated to heaven, followed by Elijah, uh, followed by Jesus, will be followed by the church, will be followed by the mid-tribulation saints, will be followed by the 144,000, will be followed by the two witnesses. You have seven acts of people going to heaven uh, with, without, except for the two witnesses. They do die and lay in the streets for three days and, and are resurrected, and Jesus died and rose again, but Every other, the other one is a, is a meeting in the air or, or is a, a resurrection. Well, actually, the church, the dead in Christ shall rise, rise first. So those that were rapture ready but expired before the time came, they'll be in there also. But in Revelation chapter 4, I want to I nail some things down. So pay attention in the, the descriptions that I'm going to give because I'm comparing 4 and 7. I've said this many times, but I've never walked through the scriptures on it. What is described of the people in chapter 4 is not the same thing that's described of the people in chapter 7. So you can't tie both of them together and say it's the same group of people. And so uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, John says, after, I, after this I looked and behold, no, I, yeah, behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now this, this depicts, uh, and you will not find a door opened in heaven in the Revelation chapter 7, saints that are before the throne. But this, this shows us that heaven opens and Jesus calls us up to meet him. And the door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard at, was as it were a trumpet talking to me. So you have a loud shout, a voice come up here. You do not find this in Revelations chapter 7, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately... Again, another term that is not used in the Revelation chapter 7, saints, that immediately they are before the throne of God. This is a, a, as a twinkling of an eye. Uh, this rapture is going to take place immediately. And I was in the spirit. You're going to transcend from this natural flesh into a spiritual being in the twinkling of an eye. And immediately, again, you do not find this when we get over to Re Revelations chapter 7. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Um, and he sat, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. The rainbow belongs to God, not what they're trying to make it this month. In sight, like a, unto an emerald. And round about the throne were, 40, were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders. Uh, sitting clothed in white raiment. Now here we have white raiment, which we will read in Revelation chapter 7, but these people did not need to cleanse their robes. 
They had white robes, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their head crowns of gold. Now, another thing that you're not going to find in Revelation chapter 7, they do not have crowns of gold. Now, this is important in the distinguishment because everybody talks about they're going to have a crown in heaven. Uh-uh. Because the crown represents something. Now, there's five things that the, the, the Bible breaks down uh, that I've never really taught on or done anything like that, but there's five different arenas of crowns that the Bible talks about. So we're going to go through them really quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now I've written it down here so that if you're taking notes, you can write it. One crown is an imperishable crown. Okay, now uh, what you're going to see here is if I can find chapter 9, um, is that on this imperishable ground, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. So number uh, one of the things I want you to keep in context of these revelations for saints is they're doing something. Every one of these crowns represents doing something. So run, run like you're going to try to win. Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we and incorruptible. So one element is living this life to receive an incorruptible crown. Okay, that's, that's nothing that man can, can do for you. A lot of people live for natural rewards. The natural rewards are going to fade away. Let's go back to Revelations. Okay, the next, well, actually, don't go back. Just hold your place in Revelations. The next one we're going to go to is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So that was one crown. And in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 is a crown of rejoicing. I could spend more time on, on, on expounding upon these things, but I'm not going to because it's really not the goal of where I'm going. What I'm showing right now is... Um, uh, the chapter four saints, they have crowns. The other ones don't. Uh, so First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 19 says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? So rejoicing is in our hope. Rejoicing is in our joy. Rejoicing is in our crown. And not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So again, at his coming is dealing with the appearance of Christ in what we call, or most people call, the rapture of the church. All right, go to the next one. And the next one, the third crown, okay, uh, is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I just figured out I don't have to go back to uh, my notes. I can actually just wait till they change the slide to see where the next one is. So uh, 2 Timothy, and I don't know why I'm holding my thumb in, uh, in Revelations. It's actually really easy to get there. Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse eight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So the third element of the crown is righteousness. Again, look at the requirements of those who get crowns. Righteousness being, well, let me go back to rejoicing because I really didn't uh, uh, delve on that. But rejoicing is not complaining. Rejoicing is not murmuring. Rejoicing is in the things that we have. So are you focused, are you problem focused or are you receiving focus that everything that uh, Jesus said he did is actually available to you? Now we get into righteousness, right? Standing with God in alignment with God, being in the presence of God. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, with which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That means they're living their life as though he's going to come back. Go to the next slide. Okay, and we have a, revel, uh, a crown of life. Go to Revelations chapter 2, verse 10. <coughs> Revelations 2, 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. A lot of people live in fear. Behold, the devil shall be cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. So now we could deal, deal more in depth on that, but those are the five arenas of this crown 
that we see that the people in Revelations chapter 4 have. They have robes of righteousness on. They did not be, need to be washed. Uh, they were immediately around the throne, and we see these things happening. So now go to verse 5 of Revelations chapter 4, back where we were at. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the, the throne there was a, a sea of glass like unto crystal. Now, you do not see that the multitudes in Revelations chapter 7 was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Bibic laws of biblical interpretation is if, if you see that it's talking about a sea, without a specific body of water, it's talking about a multitude of people. So if they say they were on the Sea of Galilee, that does not mean that they were on a sea of a bunch of people. That means they were on the body of water, the Sea of Galilee. But if they talk about a sea, and there is no reference to a, a real body of water, then it's talking about a multitude of people. So there's, a, there's a, this, this before the throne of God is all these people who are like a crystal. Now, from what I understand, I'm not a, a, a jewelist or whatever they call those people that knows and understands jewelry, but crystal is supposed to be one of the easiest uh, elements. What is it? Uh, um, what's even the proper word for it? Huh? Gem? Okay. Uh, something like that. But anyway, it's the one that you can most easily see any flaw in it because these people are without flaw. They are like a sea of crystal. They're clear. And so, whoops, just lost my place. Hang on. So, and, and, before the, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne was four beasts full of eyes. And before the throne, it says more about that. So now, this is the description of those who are in the rapture. Now, let's go to Revelations chapter 7. Verse 7. No, verse 9. And after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude. Notice that it's not talking about a sea of glass uh, like as into crystal, which no man could number. It's just a bunch of people of all nation, kindreds, tongues, people, tongues before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. Now, there's no palms in the hand of the other people. This, this is a different class of those before the throne of God. Now, jump down to verse uh, 13. And one of the elders uh, answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I, being John, said unto him, Sir, you know, or you tell me, you know who they are. And he said, These are they which came out of the great tribulation. So there was no door open. There was no immediately before the, the, the throne of God. They came out of the, the tribulation and have washed their robes. So they had to go to the laundry mat before they got up there. They had to get some things out of their life. I, I talked about it in one of my live streams here just recently. I can't remember what I called it, but I talked about spots and blemishes and, and what they are. There's actually a lot of scriptures on it. I would go back and listen to it because there are things that we are doing that are spots and blemishes. We may not consider them sins, but they're spots and blemishes. You, you, you need to study that out. And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, so... Uh, jump to, ver or now we're at verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God, watch this, and serve him day and night. You, you don't read about the other one serving him. So now that we see two classes of people, some are servants. I tell you what, if you're a servant in heaven, be thankful. Because your alternative was to be in hell. But the other group, if we were to study, if our study was the, the book of Revelations, I would go into it. But that's not my study. I'm actually going to lead into something else. I'm just showing you these classes of people. But um, those that are from Revelation chapter 4, they are not serving. They are reigning. And I could show you that if we were to study it out more. They have positions of authority. These people serve day and night in this temple. How do you want to spend eternity? Now, I, I tell you, this, is, this comes an element, and the, the crown of gold, if we were to study it out more, is going to be based on what we do here. Okay? But if I were to go around and ask people, like, what do you want for the rest of your life? 
I doubt anybody would look at and answer that question with an eternal perspective of my life never ends, but they would talk about before they got 85 and saw the grave or something like that. Because if you go to a biblical or a worldview, but biblical view of your life, most people are more, more focused on what's going on here. Now, Jesus gives a, a great example of, uh, hey, I, I'm having a supper. Tell my people to come see me. Remember that, that story? Kind of sounds like the marriage supper of the Lamb. When does the marriage supper of the Lamb take place? I didn't say where. I said when. During the seven years. Remember, Jesus said it's going to be like the, uh, like the times of Noah. Noah was in here. He got the ark as the destruction, the wrath of God. He rose above it. He went through the whole 40 days, and then he came back to earth. During that seven years, it's going to operate the same way. You're going to go up. That's when the, the seven years is the marriage supper of Glenn. Ain't everybody invited? You got your invitation? Okay, so, so that... And other things are going to take place during that seven years. Then, are you going to come back to earth? Yeah, you're coming back with Jesus. At the rapture, you do, Jesus does not put his feet on the ground. At the return, Armageddon, he comes back and he puts his feet on the ground. And the church is with him. The church not being, well, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm part of the church. The church is, the, is that that was in the... Um, uh, the rapture of the church, those without spot or wrinkle. Now, how do we get into that? Well, that's actually where we're going tonight. Because it, it's not like, as I said many times, people just think because they're born again, they're ready for the rapture. Jesus is coming, I can't wait. No, he's looking at what you're doing. Uh, I don't know why people don't get it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, 21, somewhere in there. Many shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? And he will say unto them, depart, I never knew you. Do you think that person is in the, the rapture of the church? But he said many. You know, those are people that were doing things. They probably understood about it, but they needed it. When, when it happened, they saw, like, oh, golly. I need to wash my robe. Apparently, these things didn't matter. So going back to the story that Jesus said, call all my people into my, my supper. And uh, they went out and called them. And one by one, they began to make excuses. excuses. What's an excuse, Miss Latresa? Latresa. Latrice? <laughs> See, Latrice, Lisa, Latresa. What's an excuse? A reason. A something else. Now, now, they had some good reasons, right? Man, I got a, I got a marriage going on. I got to go to that. Bought a piece of land. I got to go check it out. And the master became angry and said, forget them all. I want my house full. Now, now let's just modernize that. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the man of some is. Apparently, that verse means something to God. Well, I need to go out on the boat today. I need to go play golf today. I got to clean up my yard. I didn't get around to, to mowing it today. And so, so I'm not going to be in the house and help make it full because I've got this to do. One by one, they began to make excuses. And he says, forget them all. They'll have nothing to do with it. Okay, so you're smiling at me today. Now, let's keep reading. They shall hunger no more. We don't see that about the other group. These people are hungry. Okay, if you, if you pay attention to these, these are the people struggling in life. They did not overcome. Neither thirst anymore. These people were thirsty. You don't see that about the Revelation chapter 4 people. Neither shall the sun light upon them nor any heat. Basically what that means, they're not toiling anymore, trying to make their life work. For the lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. And shall lead them unto the, the fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all their, the tears from their eyes. They're also crying. We don't, we don't see any of those descriptions of the Revelation chapter 4 people who are before the throne of God worshiping. They overcame, they, they've got a crown of righteousness, of rejoicing, of life, of all these different things that they're walking in. Now, what is the difference between these two in what they did. 
The last two Sundays that I preach, I know there's an interruption there with uh, Reverend Bitch here, but the last two Sundays that I preach, I talked about the will of man. The will of man is the driving component to the decisions that we make. We make decisions what we view is in our best interest and what we want instead of what God wants. Will is the basis of all our decisions. Now go to Matthew chapter 26. So I'm still talking about will, and I wanted to put it in a context, hopefully, that maybe we can understand it. Every decision we make makes a difference because it has the power to put a spot on us or put a wrinkle in our garment. And people don't make pay that close of attention to how they're living because they've got this sloppy agape, uh, loose grace that, that a lot of modern preachers preach about that we can just live any way we want to because the grace of God is all okay. Uh, as uh, Ralph pointed out tonight, God, I don't change. I'm a holy God. Be ye holy as I am holy. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 says, Jesus, uh, going into the garden, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So here we see an intense battle. He did not want to do this because he knew it was going to be painful. When, when God wants you to do something, but you don't want to do it, which, which will wins out, his will or your will? We might judge ourselves according to our intentions. Oh, well, I listen to his will, and I try to do his will everywhere I know it. I know I've missed it a few times, but, 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 but I'm trying to do it. But you're not, you haven't even read your Bible maybe in a year. See, so how, how can we know his will if we, don't, if we don't study his will? And this is the battle. I'm not dogging people. I'm just, I'm just trying to show people. Christians are, are walking in a, a deception thinking they're ready. And I, you know, social media, oh, Lord Jesus, come back. We, we got to get out of this place. Well, this place is getting dark, but he's not coming for people that have an escape mindset. He has it coming for a people that has a beat back the darkness mindset. Occupy till I come. So the will is the basis of all our decisions. Even when we say things like we have to, well, I, I had to do it. No, you didn't. You don't have to do anything. He said, no, they would have crucified me. Well, that's an option. I had to. No, you chose to do the lesser of two evils as far as comfort comes. Well, I don't want to go this way. I don't want to go that way. But, but my goodness, going this way is going to be less painful than going this way. So I'll go this way. I have to go this way because it's going to be horrible. This. No, we have to go the way of God. If you don't, in, in these last days, uh, in fact, I was just, I, I've been preaching it for a while to get prepared, but uh, I had two people come to me and tell me that they went to the grocery store and how bare. Have you guys been to the grocery store this week? They said that the, the shelves are already getting bare, that they're back to that. You know, they're pulling up in front, but they're all empty behind. I tell you, you better be prepared. You better be able to stand when it gets hard. And if you've not brought yourself to the discipline of doing what you're supposed to do, and yielding to the pressure, it's not going to work out. So now Jesus, when we look at the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, our Lord and Savior, He leads us. Now, do you understand that in leading, well, let me contrast it this way. The devil tries to drive you. So, so just think of that battle when you got to give somebody a piece of your mind. We all been there once? Okay. Jesus is trying to lead us to not do it. The devil, through our emotions, is trying to drive us to do it. There's a, there's a total different function with how both things work. Which one, at the moment, seems to be more powerful to us? The driving or the leading? The driving. Because the enemy is sitting there, man, do it, do it, do it. Hit him, hit him, hit him. They need to know what you think. And Jesus is saying, follow me. I'll, I'll take care of everything. So we, ha we have to understand this, that in, in these, these last times that we're going through, there's going to be driving forces and there's going to be a leading force. Can you resolve yourself to follow him? Because the reason I started out in Revelations is 
as long as we don't turn our back on him, you're going to end up in one of those two places. Now, if you live to the ripe old age of 120, okay, which probably you're not, eternity is far longer than your life here on earth. But where is the focus of your life in the day-to-day decisions? Because this will, this driving will, is a component of where we are going to end up. And it, 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 every decision we make is driven by this. So this is from psychology today. And I, I'm not saying like go after I'm just showing that even you, when you get out of Christian circles, when you look at the will of mankind, psychology says free will is the idea that humans have the ability to make their own choices and determine their own fates. That's actually biblically true. God has given us the ability to make the decision of which way we are going to go and what we are going to do. Now, biblically speaking, going back to like Hebrews chapter 11, there's people that martyrs that gave up their life to follow the things of God. They did not yield to the pressure of their, their will. So, you know, people will talk in Christian circles about the permissive will of God. Yes, it's true in that God will permit you just don't get confused. It's not the will of God. There's no such thing from a biblical term that I'm walking in the will of God when I use the term the permissive will of God. That's my excuse to do what I want and say that God says, okay. I, I tell you what, man, I'm just batting a thousand today. Y'all staring at me like, I'm trying to help. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, the things that I do, the things that I preach, because uh, I tell you, even in, in business, I'm not a micromanager. It's not my personality. I never was when I was in finance or anything like that. I give people freedom. I'm not trying to force people to do things. I just want people to make the choice of what they're going to do. You have the right to choose. You have the right to never come back here again. You've got the right to get totally hooked in with what we're doing. You have the right to do it all. I get that, and I'm not moved by that. And uh, people make decisions that make me sad, but I never try to control them. They have the right to make the decision of whatever they're doing. So I'm not trying to be controlling or anything. I'm just saying, if you read the Bible, God tells us how this thing works. It doesn't matter what you believe. Unless you believe what he says, then you're going to conform to what he says. And that's what I'm trying to, to show you. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. If you just kind of stop and read this, I call God's commandment. I call heaven eternal and earth, that which is going to pass away, to record today. It's kind of a powerful statement. I call heaven and earth uh, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. You only have two choices. Every single decision, every single choice that we make, every single day of our lives, there's only two realms that we're making the choice in. Either the, the, the law of sin and death or the law of life through Christ Jesus. There's only, I, I've set before you life and death. You only have two choices. Make the right choice and it'll work for you. Look at verse 20. That you may love the Lord thy God and that, that, and that you may know uh, or obey his voice and that you may cleave unto him, for he is your life in the length of days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, or that you, a New Testamentize it, that you may live in all the promises that he set before you. So you and I, now, now this is just as applicable to me as it is to you, and just as applicable to, to Pastor Harbaugh, just as applicable to, uh, to Abraham, to, to whoever you want to deal with. There's only two choices. I make choices according to his will, not my doctrine of his will, of his will. And we can all get messed up on that because we form doctrines that we believe in. And um, uh, but there's only two choices. So now think of this in the term of the will, because our will drives us. Now, I can one element of my will, if there's two wills, one element of the will is to will the will of God, chase him. The other will is what? My will. To chase my will. So what percentage of our will, 
what percentage of, of what we do is done in our free, and emphasizing the word free, our free will? How much free will do you think you have? <laughs> Who said none? <laughs> Two of you said none? Yeah, pretty close. Uh, I mean, you do have the, the elements of um, choice, but you know, you live in the most marketed to nation. The products you buy, you probably have been brainwashed because why in the world would all these companies, you know, always pick on Budweiser. Why in the world would they spend a million dollars for a 30 second commercial? It's probably higher than a million dollars these days. And everybody in the, the country knows of Budweiser because it, they know it will generate sales. Advertising, when done correctly, does not cost, it pays. Now, if they know it works, who's it working on? People. Because they saw something, they, know, they understand how the brain works. So, so the majority of the decisions that you make, how many times have you walked into a store and said, oh my goodness, this is on sale, I have to buy it today. Do you need it? No, but it's on sale, I have to buy it. You might need it 20 years from now, <laughs> and I got it. I'll store it. Got a house full of stuff I never use. But, okay, you really think it was your will to do that? No. That sign willed you. Yeah. And, and we could go down example after example after example where we make decisions based on some external influence, which means the external influence is your will, but God wants to be your will. Now, the outcome of doing God's will is going to be better for you. He'll give you the desires of your heart, but we have a hard time moving between these decisions that we make. So not only do we have marketing, but what about social pressure? Have your family ever come to you and said something, you have to do this, and you felt the pressure of your family? There's always Karina. Then... Uh, and don't forget, you got family sitting out here. Um, so you're not making a free will decision. You're making a pressured decision. See, God wants us. See, if you're going to walk with God and do his will, you're going to tick some people off. Do you know how most people can't even say no? See, they're afraid, well, I'm gonna, it'll hurt their feelings. So, are they hurting your feelings right now? Is this in line with your trajectory of where you're wanting to go? I, no, I, tell, I have no problem saying no. I have no problem. Uh, we need to do this. No, it's not in the trajectory of where I'm going. That's not going to get me where I want to go. No, 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 we, need, we, we should do this. We should do that. We should, oh, I, I just want to be used by God. And I'm trying to do this. Yeah, but it's not our vision. Who, who, should I, who should I be more interested in? God's opinion of my decisions or your opinion of my decisions? Do you have the same mindset? So if you can't say no to people, then, then you're saying no to God when people are trying to push you. Now, you guys all may live a life where you have no external pressures of which way you should go. Have you ever put your will and impress, try to press on somebody else to try to get them to do something? Now, do you understand how you're robbing them of their free will? And parents do this a lot. Okay, go to Acts chapter 26. I, I know this is hard, but is it making sense? Okay, Acts chapter 26, verse uh, 17. Is that what I put in, or 19? Yeah, 17. Deliver, this is uh, to Paul, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles um, of whom now I send you. Paul had to be free from the people he was sent to. Otherwise, do you know how many people, like modern churches, how many pastors will yield to somebody, especially somebody who has money, that, that, that gives big offerings or something, yield to what they want? so they don't make them mad, so they don't stop the flow of cash because their trust is more in money? Yeah, that's what the rainbow church is uh, Yeah, probably so. I can honestly say after 26 years, per people's money has never impressed me. I've never made a decision based on somebody that they might not give. 
it's just, it, I've always, and you've heard me say it before, if we can't keep the doors open, then why should we be open? I, I was listening one time when I used to listen to people preach on TV. If you don't give to gay, we might go off the air. I'm thinking, go off the air. If you can't believe the money in, then, then why function in it? This is his church, not my church. I just got to be faithful in what, what we do and follow the word of God. But, it, but if we can't keep the, the doors open, lock them up. Okay, most are not free. So vocabulary.com says will means to want. Okay, that's a good word for people pleasers. Because people that want to please people have submitted their wills to another's personality and have not submitted their wills to God or to choose. If you have a free will, you are allowed to choose what you want. So has, has anybody ever asked you before, and there would be times that it might just be legitimate, but, but the vast majority of people, uh, where do you want to go for uh, a dinner? Well, I don't care. Yeah, you're, you're probably just afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing. If we write a will, you know, like when you die, that piece of paper, if we write a will, we're telling where we want our money and our stuff to go. Now we're dead, so we don't have the, we, we keep the little paper tucked aside and, in, and hidden so that, you know, the, the, the heirs don't know about it because we'll be dead when they read it. <laughs> I want to cut Marissa out of my will. Okay, so then I tuck it away and I don't let her read it. And it's like, hi, Marissa. Yeah, everything's going, we're going to leave you set up good. Well, I'm dead. I don't care. <laughs> it's not true. Okay, so, so relax. Wipe the sweat off your forehead. No. I don't know. I don't care. I bet you care. And I bet you know. I bet you just don't have a free will because you've submitted it to something else. See, these are all driving forces of our life. If we stop and we think about it, are we willing to will the will of God? Do you, in fact, uh, Peter started off with it about getting up in the morning and with a focus on God and everything. Do you live your days wanting revelations that I talk about? I don't want spots or wrinkles on my garment. Because if Jesus comes back today, one of two ways, he actually comes back or I go, you know, out because of, you know, I pass away. I want my robe white. I, I, I don't want it to have to be clean. I want it to be clean, and I make the decisions of my life to follow after what he wants. Where, you remember the old, um, the old saying, where there's a will? Oh, y'all know that one, huh? You know what it means? Man, you, you, you'll dig through mountains, you'll climb heights, you'll do what, if there's a will, if you want to do it, you're going to find a way to make it happen. Because the will is the driving force of the decisions that we make. If I don't will the will of God, I will automatically, because that's one system, life, choose, you know, life or death, that's one system of operation. If I don't choose the will of God, I will default into the will of my own. I'll do what I, I perceive as best for me. This is why statistics show that uh, uh, less than uh, 2% of those confessing to be Christians actually biblically tithe is because their will is, I want the money that, that's God's. Now, they wouldn't formulate it in their mind that way, but that's the driving force. And then they'll make excuses. Well, that's Old Testament, and I don't have to do that, and, da, 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 and they'll go through all, and they'll justify it until they, until they um, harden their hearts to it. But, but it's, it's just an act of will. Everything that's when we stand before God is going to be based on our will, which drives our... Uh, which drives our um, uh, decisions. decisions. Go ahead. Talk really loud, Karina. Um, would you say that's why obviously critics are addicted because of our will, but then also our lives are indebted because of you know, our will? Like we're indebted to the. Okay, you're not on. Uh, one thing on uh, credit card, part of credit cards is just where they're trying to get the digital money, uh, things that I think Sears was one of the first ones that did it. Uh, a credit card, and they, they increase sales because of it. Uh, I'll, I'll just share statistics with you, uh, even though it may hurt me. Those of you that give uh, to the church by credit card, you will, on average, give more than you would if you took cash or wrote a check. 
So, so it's all part of, I mean, part of that is a marketing system to, to generate sales from a capitalistic country. Okay, so, so, so there's elements of it. And even now you're seeing on your credit cards that for larger purchase, pay this over time. Okay, so you'll go out and charge more. Well, I don't have to pay the $300 thing I just bought. All I have to make is $75 payment. Now I can go buy something else because I have the, the remaining $225 le left over. So part of it is that, but it is, there, there's an element behind it that can work into it because most Americans live paycheck to paycheck and they have a lot of debt. So there's the, the spirits of debt, poverty, and lack all operate within that. People think it's just their, oh, no, I'm just doing this or I'm just that. No, you're, you're yielding to a demon that wants to, keep, to, to kill, still and destroy in your life. Uh, God, has, God said that we should be the lender and not the borrower. How many Christians are lenders and not borrowers? I mean, if we don't have money, we're operating on the wrong side of the coin. That's spots. If we're, if we're not faithful in stewardship, it's spots and it's wrinkles. Uh, did I, you, you sat down, but did I answer the total, totality of the question? Because it seems like there was another part well, of it. Submitted, I guess I would use the word, not indebted to him, which in a way we are indebted because he gave his life for us. We well, well, there's, and we read in uh, Romans on, our, on Tuesday that we are to not be indebted to to the natural, but we are to be indebted with him. Your life was bought with, was paid for with the price. There is an indebtedness. It's just the, the payment of it is not due today. It's going to be due down the road. And anytime we can, it's like one person said that judgment delayed is not judgment denied. We're still going to, we're going to stand in judgment for everything that we do. So yeah, it all falls in there in, in how you want to explain it. But our will is the driving force of what we do. How many here has ever spent too much and then you regretted it because you, you didn't have the money at the remainder of the month? Okay, how many did it twice? Buyer's remorse. Yeah, buyer's remorse and all that. How many's done it twice? Okay, so why, why would we do something so painful, like using my example of if we hit our thumb with a hammer trying to hammer a nail, we don't try to replicate it, but we will replicate that because there's a benefit, a euphoria of spending. When you have a hole in your heart, and, and I use the, the term hole in our heart. Uh, virtually everybody has one. That's why we seek out substances to try to feel different. Okay, that's a different message. And <laughs> it kind of like bounced back to me. It's kind of like, yeah, don't deal with that part of my heart. But that's why we overspend. All your reasons that you give are just justifications. Because you're not dealing with the vacancy in your heart. Where did the vacancy of the heart? That element was designed for God to live in it. You can know a lot of the Bible and still have a big hole in your heart because you're not living in him. And so let me move on so I can finish and nothing gets through. So where there's a will, there's a way. So um, most people, if you just look statistically, most people die. And I'm, I'm talking about going to the grave. Most people die without fulfilling the desires of their heart. There's reasons for it. Now, the desire, they, they've got a will, I want to do this, but they never do it because their will was never strong enough because if there's a will, there's a way, you will press in and get what you want. In that instance, why the majority of people never fulfill the, the desires of their heart because they did, probably they, the people pleasers, fear. Uh, in fact, a lot of people fail before they ever start. Because fear keeps them from even taking the first step. Okay, my, my message is really about eternity, but I'm kind of dealing with how you live your life right now. Okay, uh, it's 8.15. Can you give me, because I'm going to show you biblically. Go to uh, Numbers 22. It's a cool story. So a uh, few verses here I'm going to read. So this is when Israel and Moab... Uh, and Moab was afraid of Israel. And so Moab was enemies of God. And Israel is this multitude. And the king of Moab's like afraid that they're going to overtake and do something. So they, they reach out and try to get um, prophecy against the people of Israel. So the king of Moab sent messengers, therefore, into Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river, the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out against Egypt. Um, Come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide against 
against me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse this people, for they are too mighty for me. Preventure I should prevail, that, they may, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I want that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. So I heard that if, you'll, if you bless somebody, they're blessed, and if you curse somebody, they're cursed. So I want you to come in and curse them so that I can win the battle. Paraphrase. Verse 7. And the elders of Moab, uh, I'll insert there, the enemies of God, and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. Rewards hit our desire. You ever buy a lottery ticket? Everybody's afraid to say yes. Uh, it was the reward that caused you to buy it. You know, like you have a better chance of getting hit by lightning, but you're willing to spend the five bucks to, to maybe win the 300 million, you know, or whatever it is. Because rewards hit desires. And then Christians walk right, you know, Lord, if you let me win this thing, I'll, I'll, I'll build a church, I'll, I'll, I'll help missionaries or something like that. Uh, we won't go there tonight. And, and they came... Unto Balaam and spake unto him uh, the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring to you word again as the Lord speak unto me. And the princes abode with Balaam. And God said unto Balaam, What men are these with you? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, your enemy, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse, uh, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now is that hard to understand? It's hard for Balaam. I mean, he did it the first time. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balaam, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up. They went back to Balaam and said to Balaam, He refuses to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. So, so the guys in purple robes came this time. These are the big wigs. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming to me. Listen to what we got, man. We're bringing bigger riches to you. Watch this way. It says, I will promote you unto great honor. I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam, watch 18 and 19. Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balaam, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of my Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you tarry here tonight and I'll go ask him. You see the power of will? God was pretty clear on what to do. I can't go beyond the word of God, but hang out. Let me go ask him again. Maybe he changed his mind. You ever with your teenager? They asked to do something. You said no. And they came back and tried to ask again with more information. That was their will driving. This is Balak's will. I, I need him to curse him. His will is, is now. No, I can't do it. Less or more. And, and God came unto Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt, that's, uh, is what you're going to do. And Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger rose against him because he went. Didn't he just say go? Why? Why is he angry with him? He should have never came back. God's word should have been final. It doesn't matter how much money you give me. It doesn't matter how much opportunity you give me. It doesn't matter how much this looks like my, my life is going to be better. God has said, and I'm going to stick with what God has said. Uh, can I give a hint of how that applies to our life? His word. Well, yeah, but I don't think he really meant that. I think what he's saying. And Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab, and God's anger was kindled against him. Did you get my hint? Or, or do I need, need to make it more clear? His word? 
for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants who were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord, but Balaam didn't, standing in the way. And his sword drawn in, drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass and turned uh, her way uh, and turned to turn her into the way. So he's sitting there beating his, his animal because the animal won't go because the animal can see the, the angel, but Balaam can't. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, the wall being on this side and the wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down, you know, like to the ground. Uh, under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and smote the ass with a staff and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and she said unto Balaam now wouldn't this give you a clue that something is going wrong here hey bud why do you keep hitting me no he talks to her argues with her and the, old, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou smitest me these three times? And Balaam said, Because you have mocked me. Do you see how deceit we can get? Driven by our own will, justifying what's going, and, and a donkey starts talking to us, and we don't even think twice about it. And Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword, a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not your ass? Upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do unto thee? And, and he said, No, you've been, you've been good. I mean, why are you hitting me? Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. He bowed down, down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Wherefore hast thou smitten uh, thine asses three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy, was in the, uh, because thy way is perverse before me. Will will, will will take you in perverse ways. And you won't even see it. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me, surely now also, this is the angel talking to Balaam, I would, I would have killed you and saved the ass. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases thee, let, I will get me back again. The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, go with him. And he starts telling him what to do. I won't go into the rest of the story because I've, I've really hit my point of where I'm trying to get is... Er, how did all this start? The reward excited his will. See, there's things that excite, oh, I want that. Oh, I want to experience that. Oh, I, th I think I need that. Do we ever slow down and say, God, is this the way you want me to go? Because it's going to become important in Revelations chapter 4 and chapter 7 of how when this thing all gets wound up, how it's going to end. Let's stand. 825, that's not too bad. Amen. Unless your bedtime's 8 o'clock, then it's pretty bad. Um, my bedtime's not till 845, so I'm good. Tammy calls me an old man all the time. But I get up earlier than her. Uh, anyway, beyond the marriage problems. No, I, moral of the, the message. These things really do matter. And, and when we get down, either at the end of our life naturally, because some may not live until the coming of the Lord, some, may, some of us may live beyond that. But no matter what, spots and, and wrinkles can get in our garment. And we, mean, we need to take the decision. What, what do I want? How do I, I want to have this happen? Uh, both of them were in heaven. That's cool. One serves for eternity. One reigns for eternity. I, I think one's going to be better than the other one. But both are better than hell. But God gave us a choice. And every decision we make 
determines choose life or choose death. Am I doing this based on me or am I doing this where, you know, where I want to be? I want to be right with him. So don't forget to uh, uh, put your uh, name. It's July 4th uh, is, uh, is workable for you. Uh, also, there was one other thing I wanted to say about July 4th. I just remembered it and I just forgot it. Um, was Oh, Tiffany signed in here. Um, oh, time. We're, we're trying to figure out the start time. Here's the deal, because we're going to have dinner. So obviously we don't want to do it at 5 o'clock. You know, a 5 o'clock dinner or even maybe even a 6 o'clock dinner because it don't get dark for the fireworks until, what, 9 or something like that. So, so we've got to figure a, a start time. So if you have an opinion on it, that's dangerous, and you put your <laughs> name back there, just out to the side, what time you think a good start time would be? Because we've we got to figure out what time we're going to start it. So uh, if you can help us with that. And uh, um, I guarantee you that whatever time you put, it will not be a spot or a wrinkle. <laughs> it's, it's just an idea we want. We're trying to figure out how to make it work best for everybody. So, uh, but praise God, I, I believe that you got something out of this. Uh, it may be irritation, but uh, at least you got something out of it. Uh, because God, God's word is going to stand true, no matter what our opinions are. Uh, you know, I, I've had people say uh, to me several times over the, the course of the years, you know, why do you spend so much time on tithes and offerings? Because I, I David, I don't believe there's going to be one non-tither in, uh, in the rapture. God calls him a thief. I, I don't believe. Now, you can have a, a different opinion. You can argue, uh, and that's fine. If I'm wrong, all you did was give extra money for the work of the kingdom of God. I, don't, I think there's blessings with that. I mean, if you're right. Uh, and I'm wrong. But if you're wrong and I'm right, that's a serious thing for a dime on every dollar. Because it all comes back to a hard issue that in Malachi, God, uh, he said you're a thief. I, I don't know how there's going to be thieves in the rapture. To me, a thief would be a spot. I, I don't know. I, maybe I take it too far. No, it, it would be a wrinkle. It's going to take an iron to get it out. There's other things in the Bible. That I, I don't think now I you know I just told about where we're going to be back in Ohio part of it's going to be vacation we're going to miss so I'm not I'm not against people missing but I think the assembling there's a lot of people that forsake the assembling and they have it's just they could have been here but they have an excuse for it I don't think those people are going to be in the the rapture I, I know that's not in modern Christianity that's not right but but the things if you look at the the word of God that I keep presenting um, I think it's a, a you know the ten virgins. All 10 of them were spotless, but five didn't make it. You, you, you got to evaluate that and say, OK, just because they ran out of oil and they didn't make it, this thing must be more serious than I'm thinking that it is. So so my heart is. And, and I prayed this. I, I prayed this th tonight before I came into this. I want to be rapture ready. There, there's actually a scripture in there in Luke that, that talks about let me be counted worthy at your appearing. And I, I, this is a common prayer that I have that I'm, I'm saying, Lord, let me be prepared for at your appearing. But then I add to it and let me bring people with me. I, I want you to be prepared. Now, now, if the way I obviously I'm going to minister from the way that I see things and you can disagree and whatnot. I don't have a problem with that, but you better have a good biblical basis for your for your uh, um, for your doctrine. And don't let it be because of grace I can just do anything that I want and everything's okay because you don't understand grace. I, I would get in a study on grace and understand it first before you blame grace on your ability like a lot of preachers are preaching that you can live however you want and grace is going to cover it. No, the blood cover it, covers it. And that was established before the, the gr people came along and said the grace covered it. But grace gives us the power to walk in what the blood has covered. We, we've got to understand the word of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, these things are serious. And we're living in a time, Lord Jesus, that, that the darkness is going to rise that we've got to stand against. Even just on the natural level, Lord, not even talking about the rapture of the church and eternity and stuff like that, but to beat the evil that is present today, especially if I have young kids that, that are, you know, in their... You know, under 18 anywhere. This world is trying to steal them. And if I don't understand how to fight the darkness that's trying to steal them, I, there's a chance I could lose my child. Lord, if we don't understand how to beat the darkness, we'll never be prepared for your appearing. 
and we will live in hell on earth while we're trying to make it to heaven. God, open the eyes of our understanding, Lord. There's a way that we can live in the authority of the word of God that we can beat back darkness. The, the devil who is defeated has no power over our lives, over our family, over our anything that we own. We are a blessed people if we live in this thing. We've got to understand how to make it work. And we should be looking and living ready for your appearing because no man knows the day or the hour. Not even, not even Jesus Christ himself. It's going to come as a thief in the night. God, let us prepare our hearts for this. Let us walk in this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I call you blessed. We'll see you on Friday on our live stream if you join us on that. And um, have, a, have a great, safe day.